0: Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergui. Welcome to Yohoptsville, brought to you by Pear Tree Canada. We have been across this country. We will continue to sojourn across this country and find pockets of Jewish life everywhere we go. Uh, we've been to Clay Bay. We've been to Kamloops. We've been to Regina. We, we've been to a lot of places. So this time, we're going to do something where it's not a question of going to them. It's somebody who's bringing it to us. So his name is Robert Walker. He's a community activist in Toronto. And last year, we kind of stumbled upon the idea of the Jews of Northern Ontario, Jewish life and history of Northern Ontario. And I found that fascinating. So I figured, why don't we just have a talk and maybe he can give me the tour and then I'll give it to you. That's how it works. So Robert Walker, welcome to Yehobitsville. How are you?
1: I'm lovely, thank you yourself.
0: I'm good, so uh, I've certainly driven through Northern Ontario. Once when I was going to work in Winnipeg, uh, stopped in Gogama. that was fun, because uh, sure. my, bra- my brakes were shot. Um, I've loved going through Northern Ontario because as uh, the geography and the landscape open up, it's such dramatic and beautiful country. And when you go north of Superior on your way to Kenora and then out of the province, it's just remarkable. Um, What drew you to Northern Ontario in this particular case?
1: Well, you know, I'm born and raised in uh, in Toronto, and uh, most of my life spent here really up in, uh, other than a few years uh, at University of Ottawa and and living in Ottawa for a couple of years. Uh, And there was always this sort of this mystery, this uh, intrigue of Northern Ontario, I I always uh, wanted to know, you know, what happens if I just drive north on the 400 or the 404 uh, and just drive north and north and north until there is uh, nowhere more to go. Um, It was sort of intriguing, sort of uh, mysterious. Um, This vast wild, uh, the untapped wilds of Northern Ontario um, just had this certain intrigue about it that, uh, that just uh, was appealing to me ever since I was a kid. And so uh, Last year, really, when uh, you know, after the, the high holidays and so on in the fall of 2020, um, I thought this was a great time to do it. Uh, this was a great time, you know, I'd like to travel around the world. And in the past, I'd gone to Vietnam and Panama and China. And I said, you know, this is a place uh, with COVID and everything that uh, I'd like to stay a little closer to home. So I said, this is the opportunity uh, to, uh, to travel northern Ontario. So with only the barest of, uh, of itinerary, I packed up the car uh, and I uh, headed straight north.
0: So let's back up for a second. I, I do want to know as a kid, because I, I think I may have had the same kind of wonder about Northern Ontario. What intrigued you so much about the North?
1: Well, that kind of intrigue really, uh, it, it began when I was a kid, but it hasn't uh, tapered off at all. If, if anything, it's uh, its become only more acute. Uh, I suppose what it is, is there's two elements. One is just, it's so utterly unlike anything I'm familiar with. As I said, growing up in the suburbs or even growing up in the city itself, um, this this vastness of of Northern Ontario and the wild of it, um, just, it's so fascinating and so, I keep using this word mystery, mysterious, um, almost eerie. Um, It's just, um, it's just incredible um, to be in a place or to envision and imagine a place and of course then to actually be there, um, just so huge and so enormous, right? Ontario is about 50 times the size of Israel, just Ontario. Um, And it's just almost like hard to wrap around your head how enormous it is. And that's one. Um, And two, as I said, in all of Northern Ontario, this enormity, uh, enormous landmass, is only about 800,000 people. um, 850,000 people. And so you take away a few of the big towns and you can really just uh, be a place where you can scream at the top of your lungs and no one can hear you. And there's, as I said, almost an eeriness to it. There were times when i was driving ralph on the on the highway uh in northern ontario and I was so taken aback by the vistas uh, that, you know, over the crest of the hill, I stopped the car and I took a picture. Um, and there were times where I literally could stop the car and probably have a 25 minute nap uh, by the time the next car would come by. Um, I didn't do that, but uh, I did stop and take pictures and it was just wild to just I've never heard or experienced that silence before. Um, it's almost a, a religious experience to, uh, you yeah. know, uh, to have that kind of uh, peace and quiet. It's remarkable. Well, you know, it, it,
0: you, when you said that it was interesting because i I thought to myself you know you live in an urban environment in a built environment by human beings and you're on pavement and everything is lit and there's tar and buildings uh, and then you go out into the actual earth and you feel like i'm actually standing on the planet i'm now part of what the creation really is about right
1: absolutely and and you you start to feel as well that you know you are part of nature's world you know nature isn't just me living in the city oh it's you know it's nice that we've we've brought in you know some of nature into our city in Hyde Park Cedarville Park and you know and Riverdale Farm and all these lovelies. but no the reality is we're in in, in nature's turf um, and when you're in uh, like I said Northern Ontario you realize just uh, even though Toronto has so many people and in the grand scheme it's a it's a speck compared to how truly vast uh, Ontario and then like I said when you're in Ontario and then your mind wanders and say well gee this is just one province and and then you know of ten times how many it's just it, it's almost it, it's almost a, you know you can't even put it into words um, it's just uh, like I said it's, it's, it's an experience that just to see it it takes your breath away
0: so <clears throat> in Toronto, you also have tens of thousands of Jewish people. In Northern Ontario, you may have tens of Jewish people. Tell me about Mm -hmm. what you discovered in creating this idea of a tour of Jewish history through Northern Ontario.
1: Sure. Well, I think we're actually about to 200,000 Jews in the GTA now. So, uh, you know, thank God it's it's a large and growing community. Um, and um, and really, as I said, I wanted to go up north. And this wasn't really a Jewish history tour, uh, certainly intended in the beginning. The intention was, as I said, just to go up there, experience, you know, God's creation, so to speak, and to be able to uh, to travel in, in some of the beautiful uh, areas that we have in our province. So there was only really one Jewish site that I had scheduled, and it was a cemetery And I'll talk about that. Um, That was the only sort of Jewish site that I was uh, planning to see. So the first stop was, the first major stop was North Bay, uh, which is about three hours north of here. And this was in mid October of last year. So just the name itself, North Bay, it sounds cold, sounds desolate. Meanwhile, it was 20 degrees, it was sunny, it was warm. I sat on the beach and I said, Boy, this isn't what people think of. It's not what I thought of when I think Northern Ontario. Granted, I went there in October, not in February. Um, You know, I'm I'm a hardy Canadian but not that hardy. Um, so it was still beautiful to be able to go up there. And there is a, a synagogue there. Uh, my understanding, it's sort of a semi-active synagogue in North Bay. And there is a Jewish community Small again. There's only about forty-five thousand people in North Bay itself. Um, so none of the cities or towns in nor- in Northern Ontario, you know, are, are comparable to anything that we're familiar with uh, in Southern Ontario. Uh, but as I said, there is a a, a not uh, well, it's not insignificant, but it is a modest-sized Jewish community in North Bay. But what I w- was struck by the most was when I went there and I just took pictures of where I was visiting. I was inundated, you know, when I was posting on social media and Facebook. Everybody seemed to have a connection to Northern Ontario, and that was. So- so interesting. Everybody said, Oh, I grew up in North Bay, or my aunts from North Bay, or my great aunt is from, uh, you know, Kirkland Lake, or my uncles from Timmins. And it was remarkable that everybody seemed to have a connection to Northern Ontario because, based on the research that I did, and again, I sort of stumbled in as my trip progressed, I think at its peak, there were maybe 2,500 Jews in Northern Ontario. 2,500. As they said today, there are probably 200,000 Jews in the GTA. So, at its peak, there were never really that many Jews in Northern Ontario. And that spread over an Enormous area, right? Um, and yet everybody seems to have a connection to it. Um, and that's, I think, was the most fascinating uh, part of it. Um, so the first, as I said, was in North Bay. Um, and again, this wasn't a Jewish tour. This was just a Northern Ontario tour. So, oh, okay, when I was there, somebody said, uh, you know, I have family there, there's a synagogue there, but that, that's about it. Um, so the next place I went um, was on the way to Timmins, or the next place I was scheduled to see was Timmins. Um, and I was looking for this cemetery uh, in a little, I don't even know if you can call it a village, it's a ham Called Krugerdorf, and um, and I was driving, and I had uh, you know, thank God there's pretty decent internet where I was, and I was trying to find on ways in Google Maps the cemetery, and I was driving, and I went off the highway, off Highway 11, and this was where I was supposed to go, just north of. the Eagle Town or Eaglesville or forget a little town I'd never even heard of before. So I I turned off the uh, highway 11 um, and uh, that's the highway, but really it's a two lane road. So when we, it's funny, when I tell people, you know, I was driving on the highway, they're thinking of the 400, the 401, the the 404. Uh, This wasn't, this is all, uh, it's a, it's a two lane, you know, um, semi-paved road. That's highway 11 up there. So it's definitely totally different uh, than what we think of when we think of highway. Uh, But nonetheless, I, I turned off there. Um, as per the directions that I had sort of written down and I had tried very uh, diligently to find how I was going to find this place. Um, but I kept driving and driving and driving. And, um, and I finally found the, the, uh, the dirt road. And it was just North of a little village called Englehart. Um, and I turned down this dirt road and I came across a Fox uh, running on the side, but I didn't see any human being except for a couple loggers. That's really the big industry up there. There were a couple loggers working, but nothing, nothing. Um, and I came to a little intersection and there was nothing, not even farms. It was one farm I saw and that was it. Um, um, and I turned down one road and I kept driving. I said, no, that can't be it. And then I turned around, drove the other way, and there was absolutely nothing except the corner of my eye I saw this little tiny white sign that said Hebrew cemetery, not Jewish cemetery, Hebrew cemetery. Hmm. And I said, okay. Um, and I kept driving and driving. And again, it said 300 meters or 300 feet, and I didn't see it. Um, and so I finally saw some sign of human habitation. It was a little farmhouse. And I parked the car um, and I walked up to the farmhouse, and there was a, a guy just standing outside. and I I asked him, I said, excuse me, I'm looking for the Jewish cemetery. And he said, "Uh, it's right across the street. And I look across the street and I see, you know, a thick forest. And I say, I'm sorry, where's the cemetery? And he says, right there. And he's pointing at the thick forest, and I say, "I'm sorry, I don't see it." You're pointing to a forest. Where is it? And he's getting, you know, impatient with me. He says, "Right there," and he points to the forest. And I said, "You know, I I don't know what this guy's going to do. I pull out a shotgun or something (laughs) if I keep bothering him. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to eventually." I said, "Thank you very much." So I, I went back to the car, and I, you know, and I walked, uh, you know, down this sort of—I wouldn't call it a path—but through this thick um, shrub and this marsh for maybe two or three hundred feet. And then I got to this clearing um, and all of a sudden I see this little white building, um, maybe the size of two or three times the size of a garden shed, you know, the kind of thing that you would buy at uh, Home Hardware. Uh, and it said Hebra uh, Kedisha uh, Krugerdorf established 1905. And I came across, as I said, this little clearing with maybe 60 graves, um, some dating back to, as I said, 1905. Um, and the most recent grave there was maybe from a year or two ago. Um, and it was incredible. And doing more reading on this, uh, on this cemetery, it turns out that this cemetery was actually created um, in 1905 by a totally, unfortunately, through a sort of a tragedy. Founding because there were a group of Jews from Eastern Europe. Uh, as you know, a lot of the Jews who came here uh, to Canada uh, from Eastern Europe in the early 20th century, in the late 19th century, were given acreage of land if they were able to farm it, uh, and they were given this land free of charge by the federal government on the condition that they farm their own land. And so there were a group of Jews who came from you know Poland and, and Ukraine, and they came to this area on the condition that they could you know till their own uh, you know their own land, and they came as uh, to, to support the fields and support uh the the lumber industry. And that's what they did. Uh but tragically one day there was a uh um I guess a. A canoe that tipped over in the sort of the icy rapids, and it uh, it drowned a number of these people, including tragically a number of children. Um, and that's uh, that's what happened. But there was no grave. Uh, there was no um, cemetery. No cemetery up there. There was nowhere to bury these people. So there was a, a field. A farmer, a Jewish farmer uh, named Simon Hanarowski, and he donated this land in this, as I said, this sort of uh, hamlet of Krugerdorf, and he gave this to the Jewish community to use. Uh, as a uh, as a cemetery, and that's really how it began. And so, some of these people you can see 110, 115 year old gravestones, and these are the people who drowned in that canoe. Um, this is how got, people got around, of course, back then. Let
0: there was me ask no, you: uh,
1: There was no railway.
0: How did you feel when you got into the clearing, and for that first moment? up there near Englehart. Oddly enough, I know someone from Englehart who's Ukrainian. So there were, you know, a lot of Eastern Europeans there. But how did it feel to walk through that clearing and see that those headstones and see Hebrew writing? How did that feel?
1: It was very surreal. um, Because what, you know, what I did next, of course, uh, you know, I thought it was only appropriate. uh, So I I said some Psalms, I said, uh, you know, Kaddish for, uh, you know, I found some stones and I put them on some of the graves, and it was a very eerie feeling because I thought, when was the last time that there was a well? Two two questions. One, when was the last time that someone came and visited these people? Um, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a strange thought. I mean, that's strange. That, that thought occurs to me when I visit my own late grandparents uh, sure. in, here, and, and they're uh, you know. But but the reality is, when you go to a place like that, and you think, boy, how when was the last time someone stepped foot here? Um, that's one, and then two was right now. Where is the closest? Jew, um, a and where is the closest Jew? I'm, I'm standing there with a with a Yarmaka sort of praying in Hebrew, and I'm thinking it's got to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometers. Uh, that's the closest person right now uh, doing that uh, to me, um, and that was a it, like I said, it was a surreal feeling, and it was a very somber feeling uh, because although these the the Jews who came to these communities in northern ontario not just to this Krugerdorf area but really anywhere in northern ontario you know the, their descendants didn't disappear right they ended up pre- predominantly in toronto some in montreal and so on um you know it's not that they disappeared but there is obviously a certain sadness to seeing a community that doesn't exist anymore even a community that at its peak like i said wasn't maybe more than Hundred people, two hundred people in that area. Um, so it's not like we had, you know, half a million people who were
0: you know, yeah, yeah taken away, still. or
1: six million Jews in Europe. But but still, it, it was a very weird feeling. But at the same time, it felt very, um, it, it was a very good feeling to be able to go and to uh, to give that to uh, you know to these people. Again, I you know I'm a I, I'm a man of faith myself. I'm a religious Jew, and I thought you know that this is an act uh, that I thought had meaning.
0: So you're out there and you're in the north. Uh- Were there any other places you went that touched you like this place touched you? Uh, Was there anything else that surprised you about being Jewish in Northern Ontario and what, you know, kind of the the living and the ghosts of, of all of that?
1: Well, I I suppose it was the ubiquity of it. So the next place I went was Timmins, Ontario. Um, And Timmins, of course, uh, to me, the only identification I have with it is Shania Twain's birthplace. Um, (laughs) Interestingly enough, they did have a Shania Twain Museum. Uh, Shockingly enough, it was short-lived. Somehow people didn't want to go seven hours north to visit the Shania Twain Museum. But uh, alas, it is no more. Um, So I went up. uh, So, you know, Timmins, of course, seven hours straight north of here. Um, And I have a cousin I I was able to visit and and go up there. And that's really, again, mining and, and, and lumber country up there. Um, not a heck of a lot to see sort of in the town itself, about 45,000 people. But there is a lovely little museum free of, uh, free of charge called the, just at the, sort of the Timmins Heritage Museum. So I thought I'd pop in there. And I'm walking around and I'm looking at some of the history and out of the corner of my eye is a menorah. And there is a menorah uh, made of wood that is on one of the shelves uh, in the, uh, in the museum. And it uh, there's a little plaque and all it really says is that this is really the only vestige of the B'nai Israel congregation um, that closed in the early 1970s in Timmins, Ontario. That's it. Uh, Today, there's really no, I mean, there probably are a few dozen Jews still living, I suspect, um, largely senior living in Timmins, but there's no Jewish community, synagogue, uh, et cetera, in Timmins itself. But again, that was something I had no intention of looking at. And again, the the, the most remarkable thing everywhere I went and I was posting and sharing with friends and everywhere I went, well, you know, I have grandmothers from there and everybody seemed to have a a connection. I think that was probably the most shocking part of it. Uh, The next place I went after that, uh, you know, made my way uh, a little bit west. Well, actually a little north of that first is a place called Cochrane, Ontario, first place of Tim Horton. And there is in fact a a Tim Horton museum there. So I highly recommend that. Um, And I headed west a little bit to a place called Shadow. Um, no real Jewish history there. Although I understand there were Jews who lived there. Um, it's home to the world's largest game reserve, just north of there. So that was a fascinating thing. One of the highest percentages of bears, highest densities of bears in the world, just outside of there. Um, and all the bears. places they, you know, advise you.
0: They're Jewish. Bears. Jewish bears, of course, yeah.
1: <laughs> of course. And all the cows they have up there are the Holstein cows, the world's only Jewish cow. So it's, um, you know, so that's yeah. I suspect that's. Uh, so you know, yeah. it's funny. That's if, a borscht uh, belt.
0: It's 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 funny because it's like you didn't go looking for Jewish life in Northern Ontario, but Jewish life went looking for you when you were in Northern Ontario, right? I mean there were just
1: absolutely enough of
0: these pieces that just kept appearing and just like, oh, I guess I'm 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 still my frame of reference is still being a Jewish guy in here. Um where did you what was the last place you visited up there that had Jewish history in it?
1: So the last place, so I went in, in Sault Ste. Marie, I went and I got on an entire Jewish history tour there with actually one of the members of the congregation. That was fascinating. And when he would happily talk about that, but he was telling me um, just before I left, he said, you know, on the way between Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury, he was telling me there's actually another cemetery. And it was established in the late 1800s um, and there's only eight, there are only eight graves in the cemetery and there are a number of um, children actually buried in the cemetery and a number of those children, uh, the graves date to 1918. Um, and of course in 1918 was the Spanish flu and, uh, we don't know for sure. And of course, you know, 102 years later, uh, I went in, you know, 2020, of course, when there was a little, uh, plague of our own that we have been dealing with. Um, and it seemed sort of this bitter irony to go up there and to, uh, and I did visit this place. Uh, it's just outside of Massey, Ontario. It was a, a graveyard, a cemetery. Again, there's only eight graves there and blinking, you miss it. I mean, eight graves, yeah. it, it really, yeah, absolutely. you can never see it. Yeah. Um, And it's tragic. I think, you know, five or six of these graves are children. One of them just reads our baby Judith. Um, Otherwise, another one, it was a year old. I mean, that's talk about, you know, ripping your heart out. And that was a very, very tough thing to see a children's cemetery in northern Ontario with only eight graves, Um, predominantly children's cemetery exclusively. But I think that was really the last Jewish thing. Again, I didn't even Nobody had heard of it. I think one or two people that I mentioned it to had heard of it, Um, but it was only because there was a guy who was really giving me a fantastic Jewish tour of Sault Ste. Marie, uh, where there is still an active synagogue and probably a couple hundred Jews. Um, He was telling me about this cemetery. And uh, again, that's where a lot of the Jews ended up when they came over from Europe. Um, They went over to Northern Ontario and they went up there to, you know, either in logging or mining. Um, And then the little towns disappear, but then, or the Jewish history, but then the bigger towns, Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury and, uh, and North bay they were able to sustain a second generation sure. um, their children went into you know small businesses and clothing stores etc so let me ask yeah. you
0: this then how has what that tour did for you how has that informed now that you're back in the 200,000 jewish people in toronto kind of environment how has that or has it in any way changed your idea of what a jewish life in canada really is
1: so it, it certainly does. I mean, I think there's two major lessons. One is it gives you an incredible sense of gratitude of what our ancestors did to come here. Um, now all of our ancestors who came here came here differently, right? Some of whom came some people came here 10 years ago, five years ago, some of whom came here. My family came uh, My uh, my mother's Jewish. My father isn't by my mother's side. They came here a hundred odd years ago from Eastern Europe. They ended up in Saskatchewan. Right. You know, they again lured at uh, free acreage, uh, uh, you know, what the federal government had. Um, and it's incredible that the amount of self-sacrifice that these people had when they came over. And again, so many, you know, Jews from Morocco had different stories from Jews from Iraq and Poland and so on. But they all have unique stories and they all have an incredible uh, amount of self self-sacrifice that they had. Um, and But just the stories of those from Northern Ontario, primi- primarily from Eastern Europe, but like I said, Ralph, everybody, the amount of self-sacrifice they had, giving up everything they had, um, giving up what they knew to come to right, a, a better place, a safer place, a more vibrant, more affluent place here in Canada. And again, 100 years ago, Canada was not what it is now. Um, Jews, you know, the old stories, Jews worked Sunday to Friday in a store and then would have to quit every Saturday because uh, they would be fired um, right. because they couldn't work on on Saturday or the people who couldn't get jobs um, or the people who just had to work you know working in the fields working in mining I just you can't even imagine the levels of I, they couldn't imagine I suspect the levels of comfort that we enjoy today here in Canada um, and it just makes you realize that you know I believe without question that Canada outside of Israel is the best place for a Jew to live anywhere in the world um, and it makes you realize the self-sacrifice of these people who made that happen so it's an incredible debt that we owe mm-hmm. them that's one um, that's one lesson that's just uh, it, it, it continues Continues to, I think, uh, inform everything that you know that I do, and it really just drilled it into my head and I think the other lesson was that we can't take anything for granted you know that even like I said that we have a you know large and vibrant community here um, and it can be very easy to assume that it's going to last forever that it's just going to sustain itself but the reality is is that uh, these communities only sustain themselves because of the people who you know they send their kids to Jewish day school it's the people who write the big checks it's the people who volunteer it's the people who show up it's the people who bring food to the elderly it's the people who you know who uh, knock on their next door our neighbor's house and ask how they're doing. It's the people who, you know, sponsor immigrants to come here. It's the people who uh, bring meals to their neighbor uh, when they have a baby. It's the people, all of us, you know, when we enrich our community um, in any way, and again, all of us enrich our community in any way, uh, in, in even the smallest ways that we're involved, um, that's how the community sustains itself. The community grows because, you know, again, who knows when if people 100 years ago, the Jewish communities in, in North Bay and Timmins, again, they weren't big, like I said, by our standards today, but um, would they have imagined that there would be nothing left uh, today in Timmins? There was once a synagogue, and imagine how... it must have felt to be the last guy, so to speak, to yeah. close the uh, door and lock the lights. And, and and you know, obviously our community is much bigger today, but it is a feeling. It's not a it's not a somber, sad feeling, but it is, Ralph, I think a feeling of empowerment that we have the ability to, you know, nothing is for granted. The Jewish community, uh, I think is, uh, the Jewish people are an eternal one. Again, I, I don't think, I think history has taught us that we're never going to go away. Uh, at the same time, what it looks like and how that manifests, manifests um, is really up to us as individuals. And I think that was right. the lesson that, uh, you know, one of the lessons—it was fascinating. I went up to—I'll give you an example. Um, I went up to Cochrane, as they said, where there's the, the Tim Hortons museum, and there's a fascinating polar bear exhibit. And as part of this polar bear exhibit, they have this real whole almost pioneer town, like Black Creek Pioneer Village, and they have a whole pioneer town, what it used to look like, and they have a whole little doctor's office, you know, fake doctor's office, and the picture there—it says Doctor Slater and Doctor Bernstein. And I said, "What's going on here? Did they literally just <laughs> Google the names of you know doctors, and this is what they came up with?" And I posted that thinking I was being sort of funny and pithy. And it turns out, in fact, that no, that the the two doctors who were really the founders of uh, or one of the the primary community leaders up in Cochrane were Dr. Slater and Dr. Bernstein. Um, And it's so funny that in their local milieu, locals don't necessarily identify those as Jewish names. Um, that's the funny thing. I'll never forget a story when I went to the University of Ottawa um, and I was speaking to somebody I was living in the residence with. And this person was saying, boy, I've never met a Jew before. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting. And then later on, this person was telling me about their high school teacher, Mr. Goldstein. And I stopped them and I'll never forget. And I said, well, hold on a minute. You just told me that you've never met a Jew before. And they said, yeah. And I said, well, you had a teacher named Mr. Goldstein. And they said, yeah, what do you what do you mean? What's that important? And I thought, well, of course, Goldstein could be a assimilated name. It's But I said, you know, that's a Jewish name. And they said, well, how do you know? And it struck me. And it's funny, because outside of that context, someone who hears a name like Goldstein or Cohen or Levy, they don't know that's a Jewish name. To them, they have no frame of reference. A boat is remarkable. I'm walking around Northern Ontario. I have a keep on Nobody said anything. Nobody stopped. Actually, there was one guy in a hotel parking lot who put his arms around me and said, "God bless you and God loves you." And that was, you know, always nice to, <laughs> you know, uh, to see. But but the reality is is that it was, I didn't encounter any anti-Semitism. Sort of a couple perplexed looks, but um, that was it. And it was interesting because for the people up there, they don't know what it means to be Jewish. They don't know what it means to the non-Jews. They don't know what, yeah, yeah. like I said, they don't have a frame of reference. And I suppose the lesson beyond the self-sacrifice of our ancestors is that everything that we have here has to be uh, preserved and fought for and uh, and maintained and nothing happens by itself well
0: well put well put uh, I love what you, their stories I love that you went up there and it discovered you and then you discovered it and I think it's a wonderful thing uh, Robert Walker uh, has been my guest and uh, I thank you and uh, I uh, I encourage and uh, embrace your innate curiosity and passion for everything not just Jewish but life so uh, thank you for being my guest. I really appreciate you spending the time with me. Thank you. Likewise. This has been your sponsored by Pear Tree Canada, reducing the after-tax cost of giving for Canadian major gift owners. Learn more at peartreecanada.com I'm your host, Ralph Ben-Murge, I can't even say my own name. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by Louis Samayo. And if you want to travel with us across this great country, visiting more small Jewish communities, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to hear more of some of my work, I host another podcast called Not That Kind of Rabbi. And here's some news. I have a book that's come out. Uh, it's called I Thought He Was Dead. It's available through uh, Amazon. Uh, it's available through Indigo Chapters. Uh, you can get it wherever you you find books uh, it's called i thought he was dead and you can pre-order it right now if you want to hear more canadian jewish stories you can find them at the canadian jewish News' website the cjn.ca thanks we'll see you next time on your